0: Greetings, Rare Ones, and welcome to the Rare Birds Emerging Markets podcast with me, your host, Joanne A. Hamilton. I created this podcast because I was curious to learn about the startup ecosystems in developing countries. The Rare Birds Emerging Markets podcast is where you will hear me have unique conversations with early stage startup founders, ecosystem builders, innovators, and investors from across emerging markets. It is an opportunity for all of us operating in these countries to learn, share, and exchange experiences beyond our borders. Although complex and varied, there are more similarities than differences in the narratives. If you're new, welcome. We're Ones come here to gain fresh perspective and insights into what is happening on the ground from the people who are creating shifts and driving the action. It is where they can connect through stories which are distinctive, honest and relatable thanks for listening in and i hope at the end you feel compelled to join our growing global community of rare ones greetings rare ones and welcome to the rare birds emerging markets podcast with me your host Joanne A. Hamilton. And we are now on Series 9 Education and Adoption Blockchain in Africa. And today's episode is number 193, and it is titled Blockchain in the Hair Industry. And you will hear me in conversation with our guest from South Africa, Priti Quibian. So let me tell you a little bit more about Priti. She's from South Africa, and she's the co founder of Coronet Blockchain, a company which is using an emerging technology solution to help shift how HAIR exchanges hands across South Africa's 100 billion per year HAIR sector. So what are you going to hear in today's conversation? You're going to get to know more about Pretty, learn more about the business, current blockchain, how it came about, the problem that she's solving. Actually, when she realized that the industry had a supply chain problem, she shares some facts with us. One of them being that 80% of the global hair uh, in the world is sourced in India. She gives insight into supply chain inequalities and she talks about her three-part approach to education, which I think you will find really interesting. Uh, she also shares with us challenges faced throughout the process of building her business, where she sees her business going, where she sees blockchain going in her native south africa which i think was also really insightful because she does work in the industry and um, she had a really interesting perspective on where she thinks it's all going and lastly and as always she shared her lessons learned as an entrepreneur building her business so this was a really interesting conversation because it focused on supply chain particularly in an area That I have not uh, discussed before. That we haven't shared on the podcast. It talks about here. So I hope you enjoy listening in. And as always. I will see you at the end. But one final thing before I go. Don't forget to listen in to Guyana Startup Nation. Featuring Stephen Jasmine. The final episode number 3. It drops this Friday. And it concludes our bonus series. Okay. Now
1: I'm gone. See you at the end. Bye for now.
0: Greetings, Priti, and welcome to the Rare Birds podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Joanne. Thank you for having me. Yes, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on, and I look forward to having this conversation. So Priti, before we begin, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Well, tell us, our audience, a little bit about yourself and who you are.
1: I'm a co-founder of Coronet Blockchain. It's an e commerce platform that provides rated human hair extensions from quality authenticated uh, suppliers across the globe to African salons and retailers. Okay, fantastic. So, a little bit. Yes. You can continue, uh, John.
0: No, that's it. Go ahead. I was going to tell you can ask you can you
1: tell us a little bit about
0: you and who you are outside yes. just give us a little bit about your background.
1: Yes, yes. A, a little bit of on the background side. My early days in business became, began from the family side. I have a background where I come from a family business. So from a very young age, well, my earliest memories are from eight, six. I can't really recall before then, but that's when I would leave school to go and work with my dad who owned two kinds of businesses. One was a wood cutting business where he would get a, a rare wood for baking and cooking and cut it up and package it to set it to wedding houses, funeral housing, butcheries, and, and bakeries within in our small town. And on the weekend, he had an informal uh, entrepreneurial program that he had where he was gathering a number of young boys, because our education system did not really accommodate boys that were not intellectually acute when we were growing up. So when they can't cope academically, there was no place for them. So just to keep them from the street, you'll gather them, teach them how to drive, teach them how to fix cars, and then when they are old enough, get them driver's licenses and set them up. With their own transport businesses. So that's what he was doing. From then later on, I started uh, working with a number of corporates when they will set aside an investments to invest into uh, community benefiting kinds of, of education, of organization. We call them NGOs, this side. So they will invest there. So my work there was around. Uh, screening these NGOs and make sure that they use the resources according to what the corporate has funded them for. And then from then, uh, I move into management consulting, specifically around market access. Our focus was to take new products to market or to launch the same uh, businesses that want to set up in, in, in South Africa and across Africa. So that's when the founding of Coronet uh, began when a friend of my co-founder from, an ex-colleague of my co-founder from Deloitte came forward. When she came knocking at our door, she was selling human hair extensions from a handbag and she wanted us to put structures in place. Fast forward later, we have 10x or well, more than 10x a business into a two million US dollar revenue. She was employing uh, 40 staff and she had four branches across uh, South Africa major cities. So that kind of success attracted a number of of brands. We got this overwhelming request from brands across Africa, knocking at our door, saying they want the same success. So now we had two options, whether we're going to grow our team so that we can take more accounts Or should we actually find a scalable solution that is technology to respond to the need that was there? Because more than the need, there were a number of problems that we saw across the hundreds of brands that were coming to see us that our solution went on to say, we need to solve this and we need to actually duplicate or do this success across now thousands of salons so later on i would expand on what are those kind of problems
0: yes perfect and you set it up set us up perfectly for the next question which is tell us about the business and what problem exactly it is solving
1: yeah so like i said the, the hundreds of businesses that came to us including now big retailers that started approaching us wanting to sell the product because the demand is quite huge in africa they had problems across three categories one problem was quality later on we later to find out that 100 million uh, human head pieces are sold in africa and about 38% of that end up as fake or or counterfeits and 9 million consumers end up with those uh, uh, products and all the salons were contributing to that well from the supply chain having all those gaps and the second problem was sourcing problem so all of them they would fly to Asia and other countries to source their head be there physically because not knowing about the quality, those that were buying bigger volumes, they will go and fly there. And they were spending about 4,000 US dollars a year just on travel and accommodation. And one of the problem with that is also linked to sourcing, they had about four four million, men because man- big manufacturers, they would want minimum order quantities of which a small retailer or salon from Africa cannot meet on their own. So now they'll be like, four middlemen and that was just adding to the costs and the last uh, but not least problem that we had to focus on especially for holding our MVP was Business systems, just basic business systems that are critical for managing and growing a business, because they are moving big volumes, but they don't have booking system or inventory management system. So when comes end of the year, they can't really prove how much the business is, where should they need to apply for funding, and all those kind of things. So we went and designed around those kind of three problems. Hmm, interesting. Now let's get
0: into the blockchain aspect of of the business, okay? So in terms of blockchain, um, at what point did you realize that this technology was an enabler and could help to solve this problem?
1: So one of the things that we worked around in our design thinking sessions was first and foremost realizing is this an industry-wide kind of a problem and also to do best practice like are there other industries that are facing this problem the moment we realize that first and foremost it is the supply chain problem now we can zoom into the critical supply chain problems that is actually applicable across many supply chains in africa one of those problems is supply chain uh, shock where people have problems with quality of products whether those are consumables like fruit or those are genuine leather or genuine gold whenever there's a claim of a quality standard not having a way to actually prove it it's not just a hair business supply chain it is a supply chain cross board whenever there's quality needed. And the second problem was supply chain inequalities. One of the things that we realized is that in supply chains, you realize that the guys on the upstream on the supply side that manufacture and distribute the, the what do you call it, the, 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 the product, I, I'll make an example. One of the big issues that we have in Africa in the coffee supply chain is one of the use cases that is very familiar. You will find that that the inequalities between two CEO, the CEO in the beginning of the supply chain, which is the production, the growers of the beans themselves, uh, the CEO of that farming operation and the CEO of a big coffee companies. When you compare their lifestyle standards, you realize that, Clearly, even though there's mandates uh, and initiatives like uh, like fair trade, but the the implementation of that is not really showing. For example, that coffee farmer would have been paid uh, less than a cent sometimes for a coffee cup that will be sold for four dollars when it's now retailing. I understand it's a high markup kind of a a product, but should there be that big, big gap? So one of the things that causes that the participation of the entire supply chain, us as consumers, now with the blockchain technology, we give power to consumers to say, you can actually scan your product and know if it's an ethical product or not, meaning that it was sourced correctly, Suppliers were not abused, workers were not abused, and it's not harming the environment. So we get to participate as responsible consumers to solve those inequalities. And the last point that uh, made blockchain technology such a, 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 a good uh, uh, technology for supply chains as a whole, including the hair supply chain, is be the inability the, the, to collaborate at scale for a number of brands, for example, now all the salons that are within our network, they have that leverage of a bargaining power. Now all of a sudden, their prices are quite low because we are leveraging each other's orders instead of everybody going to order all by themselves. And how that plays out in fashion, for example, uh, in South Africa, major retail brands have announced that they no longer want to. Buy made in out there, brands that want to buy made in Africa. But to find one big commercial producer of, of this fashion item, whereas a, a platform like, like blockchain can see a number of uh, designers collaborating together to actually compete with a large manufacturer. So that's what we see, and that's what makes blockchain such a powerful tool.
0: Yeah. And I think. Um... You know, it, we're talking about the hair business. And I remember when you and I first connected, um, we, were, we were just uh, exchanging sort of the numbers when it comes to hair and how big this business yeah. is. So it's really interesting to see how you're using this technology to help these uh, small businesses scale and really gain leverage in an industry where they don't really have access and and really have ownership over the supply chain. So I think that's really, really a good example. It's a good use case of how this technology can be used in so many different ways and across a variety of industries. Because you wouldn't think hair, the hair business. But the hair business is massive. It's a billion-dollar industry, right? That's correct. Yeah, and uh, much of the hair that is used by um, women. I know you're based in South Africa, but we talked about the fact that much of the hair is sourced in Asia. So it's yeah. there's a massive supply chain when it comes to the hair business.
1: Definitely, definitely. 80% of the global hair comes from India and mm. then processed in Asia. So mm. you see inequalities even from the India side where these hair, for example, we did, we were chatting with a number of uh, celebrities that are from India. They are like uh, movie stars and stuff. So they're like, they know that their hair lives in India and then they buy it when it's like 500 times the cost of what it was sold there. But to actually make measure- Asia, if there's really, really impact that is happening on the Indian side, and then you get North America, where 40% of the global hair consumption happens, and then in Africa, it's it's 30%. So as women of color, we are responsible for 70% of the annual uh, consumption of hair. But if you were to look at where is the real business sitting with, when we really drill it down to numbers, you realize that, the scale is tilted so bad
0: yeah that terminology supply chain inequalities do you want to expand on that just yes. a little bit what do you yes, mean yes. So when you say mm.
1: yeah. Yeah. so i think to measure inequalities in a in a Basic way, for example, it, it, it comes back to the standard of living. So when you look at the supply chain, for example, a supply chain of hair, for example, a supply chain of coffee, or supply chain of milk, when you look across the supply chain, finding out, I'll use the hair now because we're talking about hair, finding out that in Africa, annually by 20, in 2019, Uh, it was seven billion US dollars of sales that actually exchange hands in Africa. But when you look at the, we we have about 2.5 million uh, families that run businesses, whether they are providing skill as as a hairdressers and others are actually running businesses. Now come, uh, 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 what do you call it, now come uh, COVID-19, end of 20, beginning of 2020, where they had to actually go and apply, for example, for business rescue funds that were available for government. None of them could actually prove that these are the sales they actually made one because there's no systems to prove that. But most importantly, the guys that are doing the manufacturing, because they can't prove the quality, it means these guys cannot ensure the, the product itself. They cannot uh, 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 go and uh, and get business uh, trade finance to finance. that. So finding out that other people Uh, are making loads of money within the same supply chain and other people are not really, really as sustainable, it makes supply chains to be very unequal on top of the the, the fair trade because the trade terms as well are very harsh. One of the heartbreaking uh, um, interviews we had was with a Kenyan salon owner who was saying that some of the suppliers that she was speaking to, they they were just treating her anyhow. But she's a customer who came from Africa to go and buy from them. She was just treated anyhow. No receipt, no quality assurance, nothing on top of the bad attitude that she was able to be. So there's a lot of bullying sometimes in certain supply chain by the guys that have got a bigger pocket to
0: do the manufacturing and everything. Mm, thank you for elaborating on that. Very interesting. So now I want to jump into the education aspect. Um, you mentioned that there were three specific ways and I thought there was this was so fascinating how you're using education um, in your business. You mentioned there was the consumer education, the business education itself, and then there was blockchain education so there's kind of like this three this three uh, part model that you're using as a way to
1: educate can you expand on that for us please uh, that's correct thank you for the question so on the educate on the education for the customer aspect, uh someone once said that a customer is the most powerful person in any supply chain because they have a the power to fire everybody in the company from the shareholders up to the most entry level by just changing who they are buying from to go and buy from someone else. So to be able to empower them to exercise those kind of rights, because some of the things that you see across many supply chain hair is one of those, pharmaceuticals and food supply chains is one of those where you find that dollar for dollar uh, sometimes surpass standard uh, pharmaceuticals and food and fashion items. They're almost dumped into Africa and other emerging uh, places where is the exact price that you pay, but you get a different kind of quality. So educating consumers to actually know what their rights are, know that they have to know the quality of the product. If someone promises you a hundred percent, you need to require a certification to prove that so that if something goes wrong with the product, if it's food, they could be poisoning. If it's a fashion item, you need to return it. And if the deal was sketchy from the wet go, that's when, Nine million African women end up with fake hair because of that kind of a blind spot. And I think the second addition to the customer education as well, we educate them to say, you know, you know, buying a week, you are buying into a 7 billion revenue African supply chain uh, 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 concept where you're buying into people's jobs, you're buying into people's businesses and people that are actually putting food on the table so partner when you buy just think about it that you're partnering with ethical brands support those that are actually supporting the economy of this country in terms of creating jobs and creating economies and then I will move to the business um, education themselves that uh Most of the time, one of the things that the the third industrial revolution brought was like massive access to information. And we saw a number of on-demand business models and technologies emerging. But one of the things that it left out that we make sure to incorporate in our concept and in all our, our, our business solution, that's the training part technology that accelerate trade lower prices and stuff like that. If trading of the people that work within that supply chain is not provided, then we remain with poverty jobs. You have people that are contributing to the supply chain in terms of owning businesses, but they actually do not have business acumen at all. You have jobs. For example, in the hair supply chain, 80% of the skills, are not certified, is people that were self-taught. So focusing on those areas that make sure that we are building an ethical supply chain, Businesses that are here have got good business acumen and all the skills, we have created a, a way of making sure that they are certified and people are getting their uh, hairdresser cred and uh, references. So, in that way, we are running a very sustainable supply chain and later on a sustainable industry. and. Uh, Finally, on the blockchain education as well, especially the technical aspect. We will speak later on about some of my challenges that our challenges that we faced with building Corona in this far. So, we often say that the Africa we want is not going to come and be built by aid or through most foreign solution that come, we need to be able to have an end-to-end building, managing of the economy from in-house, meaning that uh, 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 being able to technically educate uh, the blockchain as a technology. So the cool thing about us as well, we have been approached by a number of academic education that are working with us to one, create uh, uh, programs where they do micro-credentialing to give those courses. One, they give courses to, to a number of, of professionals. Like we have a number of lawyers that come through and say they want to focus on 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 practicing law within blockchain. So they need a macro education so that they can be a specialty lawyer, just like you find a a real estate attorney, they wanna focus on frontier technology and blockchain being among the priorities. So these technologies are able to work with us and create those credentialing uh, courses to provide to the people that are there. And the last thing on a, Parting note on a personal note. One of the things that we do is uh, uh, what do you call it is becoming a passion of ours. We've got a program that we call Blockchain for Barbers, like little children, where we create this cartoon uh, 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 presentation to create bedtime stories that explain blockchain difficult technologies because we want our babies to grow up actually knowing from a very young age. What is blockchain? What is internet? Because it's the next big thing. Hmm. Interesting. Really interesting. I have spoken to
0: quite a few, not on the podcast just yet. On the podcast, um, working through it on the podcast, but generally, just in conversations, I've spoken to quite a few startups that are using uh, blockchain, the technology, and I've never. I must admit, I've never heard any of them articulate this very clear plan on how to educate and I think it's really really unique how you've combined you know the consumer education with business education and then blockchain education how you found a really unique way to integrate that into your business model that's really really impressive really cool thank you thank you so much (laughs) so um let's talk about some of the challenges that you faced to date so every business has challenges right Um, just tell us a a little bit about yours and and how you're currently dealing with them or maybe some challenges that you've had to overcome since you since you started the business
1: definitely I think one of the biggest problem that we even though it was we're not directly handling it because we were funded uh, as capital by IBM but not having local talent, for example, because all the engineers that are working on our solution were not from local. So not being able to find local talent that have got experience in this technology, for us was a big challenge, even though it did not affect us directly because our technical uh, provider, because IBM is building the technology, was the one who's sorting out. But a number of startups that we have compared nodes with that want to venture into blockchain or want to add blockchain into their tech stack, they'd be a a backlink to find our local talent. And the second thing as well is costs. Uh, when you're starting a startup, there's a monthly burn rate that investors would expect for you to spend. And blockchain can be a very expensive exercise as well. So having to be able to build a very strong business case to justify why on earth are you spending so much of money to build the technology and to run the technology? Even though the scalability is there, but early stage of the business, investors they want to see traction and all of that. So, cost a, a, a big barrier because it means now there's not gonna be a lot of people that can start a blockchain technology companies because the costs are, are super high. We were privileged to be funded by IBM and also to bootstrap from our pockets as well to make sure that we self fund until uh, our company reaches revenue where we can actually prove because it becomes a barrier when you start approaching investors. And the last one was, it's not really something that we face, thank goodness, because we come from a market entry access but a number of blockchain startups that are not in technology i mean are not in supply chain that actually end up we had to to to, to focus at 20 percent of our focus at coronet on into the management consulting because a number of uh, of companies we're coming with us with their solution just sitting in the shelf because building a tech a community is very difficult and also being able to find that that market fit for the market that you are wanting to address it takes quite a long time so those are the just the challenges that across some of them we face uh, directly some of them are faced by some of the people that now have kind of become our clients and we're helping them to kind of take their products into markets right right
0: if i can just kind of uh unpack some, a few things that you've said there, like you talked about local talent. Um, hmm. Do you mean sort of regarding, are you referring specifically to, to the technology like blockchain engineers, blockchain developers or something else? Yes.
1: Yes, that's correct. That That's the talent that we, uh, I'm, I'm referring to.
0: say right. tech,
1: Blockchain technology.
0: For up. the tech itself. Why do you believe that is? Why do you believe that? Is there a lack of talent in in uh, local talent in that area in South Africa, generally in Southern Africa? What what's happening there?
1: I think most uh, well, firstly, because blockchain technology is an emerging technology, and one of our sins in Africa, what we have done in the past in this industrialization uh, uh, movement, we kind of like play a wait and see. Being at the forefront means, you know, blockchain is coming. It's going to be the next big thing. Let's start getting our own engineers. If we have to kind of like create exchange programs where we have African people to go to the countries where blockchain technology is becoming mainstream so that they can come back with the talent instead of like, oh, well, if it becomes the next big thing, we're just going to outsource the talent. And we will, that, that, that's what we will do. So I think that wait and see move that we made at, at our macro level is among the, the the causes for the absence of the talent.
0: Mm, right. And then secondly, you mentioned IBM quite often. Um, So IBM, um, can you talk a little bit about the program that you were in with IBM and and the role they've sort of played in your your business today, particularly around helping you with the technology? Uh,
1: Yes, thanks for the question. Uh, IBM, they have a, a an investment program that they have in here in, Africa, in South Africa, where they've set aside a budget where they identify startups, tech startups that uh, have a, a scalability potential that can scale really fast. So they'll identify those uh, startups and then they can build their technologies from scratch or add the, 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 the a blockchain or other technologies into their existing tech stack. So, when we were, because at first we're not really even know that we're looking for blockchain as a technology. A, a friend of the family, we were chatting with him at some point, we're like, you know what, this is a problem that we have. We need to solve A, B, C, D. And he said, that's a blockchain case. We actually have this program at IBM. I'm gonna schedule for you guys to come and present to our investment committee. And I think this is something that IBM will be interested in. We didn't know they had that program. So we went into their program and they provided that seed capital in two tranches to build the technology for us.
0: Okay, brilliant. It's really good to know because um, it's nice for people to know that there are companies out there that are funding projects like yours and that are supporting projects like yours. So that's really spectacular. Yes, Yeah. definitely. Yeah, so where do you see your business in say five years?
1: Well, our vision it is in, in three aspects. One, mm-hmm. at the industry level, we want to be able to digitize more uh, 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 business, specifically on the hair side we want by then to have at least 20 i mean 2000 salon or retail to have moved them from hand to mouth into a six-figure business that employs at least 10 people so in that way we are creating a very sustainable industry and that can actually be used as a benchmark by the industry to say, if this is a business that you're going into, this is the standard and we are making it very, very easy, we are lowering barriers to entry to ensure that that's which we are being very modest to target 2000 out of a half a million businesses that exist in in Africa. On the supply chain uh, aspects as well food security and fashion and other aspect, uh, other apparels is our focus at the moment for the next five years. Already we are working in a number of proof of concept to digitize the food uh, supply chains as well. So we want to kind of like uh, uh, tunnel in into that direction. And the last part as well, we want to contribute to the Africa free trade continental agreement that has uh, uh, been launched at, uh, earlier this year is the biggest uh, our agreement is a biggest trade area globally one of the the, 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 the objectives or of, of the the agreement is to uplift 30 million people out of poverty so yeah. we know that aid and policy alone cannot uplift people out of poverty we need to use a policy next to practical solutions that will really really boost trade instead of relying on aid. So we want to be able to say, this is how much we contributed towards that 30 million jobs that in the African continent we want to create.
0: Mm, Right. Now, you know, this entire series blockchain education in Africa, what are your thoughts generally on this technology and how you think it can be used uh, specifically in your country in South Africa, um, how you'd like to see it used, um, just like generally, how, how do you think it will be embraced? Like, What's your general view on this technology in your country?
1: So I think the, technology, the blockchain technology is giving us a chance that we've been given for a number of time to solve real-life African problems that are faced by people that are poor and people that are wealthy, to be able to close the gap. Uh, A number of people, they say we are one of the most unequal economies in the world, so being able to close that gap by creating transparency within supply chains, transparency within trade, empowering the people within the supply chains. We often said, if we're gonna track a carrot across the supply chain, we need to be able to tell that how many lives did it really, really change for across the supply chain? Was value, real value exchange because this is an era where we actually, because in blockchain, you it's a, it's a tool to exchange value in a way that is democratized and in a way that benefits are shared across the supply chain. You won't have an instance where only the 1% of the supply chain is actually doing well. The rest of the people, jobs are informal, businesses are informal. Africa cannot afford that. It gives us an opportunity to formalize and organize ourselves very quickly and very affordable because we're doing it as community and i think that africans have been very good when it comes to organizing ourselves as communities we just needed that tool that helped us to facilitate trade across our own community so that we can enrich every member of the community
0: Great, 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 great. And last question. What lessons have you learned from your entrepreneurial journey thus far that you'd like to share with us?
1: Thank you for the question. Uh, I think one I can speak about now is perfection is is an enemy of progress. Mm. It is never a perfect time to start a business. It's never a perfect time to launch a product. You if you wait until things are perfect, you that's really, really kind of an enemy of progress. Most of the best solutions were started during the time when it was very inconvenient to be able to start those kind of things. So you need to be agile, you need to be flexible, you need to be able to adapt very, very quickly, but just go out there and start something.
0: Brilliant. Thank you so much, Priti. It was really, really great to, to have you on the podcast. To have, to have you share um, this really interesting business um, with our audience. So you're officially a rare one. Welcome to the family. And I hope you can come back on the podcast sometime again soon.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you to the audiences as well. Okay, guys, until next time. Bye for
0: now. Thanks for joining us. This is an original RareBirds HQ creation. It was produced by Raybirds HQ and is meant for informational purposes only. If you enjoyed today's show, let me know by writing a review and do share it with your friends. Lastly, don't forget to subscribe to receive the weekly podcast newsletters, weekly news, and of course, more podcasts. Do visit the website at www.rarebirdsHQ.com. Until next time, rare ones. Bye for now.